And with that, let's make sure we have our Bibles in hand. We're going to be diving into Jonah chapter 1 in just a few moments. I had mentioned last week that we were going to launch a new study on the book of Ephesians this week, but I just didn't have a piece about it. So I really believe God is redirecting us to do a study of Jonah over these next four or five weeks. So I think this will be a blessing to you because if God is behind this, you've got to know he's got a good word for you and for others that you'll invite to hear this series over these next few weeks. As most of you know, yesterday uh, was an important day in the life of our nation. It was Patriot Day. It was the day that we commemorate those terrorist attacks in New York City 20 years ago. Isn't that hard to believe? It was 20 years ago yesterday that those four commercial airlines were hijacked and two of those planes were flown directly into the World Trade Center towers. One was flown into the Pentagon. And 2,977 people were killed during that terrorist attack. To put that into perspective, that was about 500 more people than were killed at Pearl Harbor. Uh, It was a terrible thing in the life of our nation when that terrorist attack took place on 9-11. And of those 2,977 who were killed either in New York City or at the Pentagon, of that number, 412 were first responders. 412 of those who were killed were emergency workers in New York City who heard the call of duty and responded without hesitation, rushing into the World Trade Towers, knowing that there were individuals stranded above the flames on those upper floors. And they did everything in their power to try to save lives. There were 60 police officers from the NYPD and several other police departments that rushed into the World Trade Towers and lost their lives as they did. There were a whopping 343 firefighters who rushed into the World Trade Towers trying to save lives. When these brave men and women received the call that the Twin Towers were on fire and people were trapped, they rushed in without giving it a second thought. They were heroes. They were heroes. When they received the call of duty without hesitation, they went. It wasn't fun. It wasn't easy. And it certainly wasn't safe. But they rushed in anyway because it was their duty and it was their calling. Now, Jonah was one of God's prophets in the Old Testament. In fact, he's probably one of the best known prophets in the Old Testament. Even Sunday school age children know the story of Jonah. He had a calling on his life a calling to speak God's word whenever and wherever God told him to. But unlike the heroes of 9-11, Jonah turned his back on his call of duty. Jonah was the reluctant prophet, and over the next four or five weeks, we are going to learn from God's word together how not to be like Jonah. So today we begin our new series, a verse-by-verse study through the book of Jonah. So I need you to be in chapter 1. We'll be there in just a moment. Chapter 1, verse 1. Now, whenever we begin a new verse-by-verse study of a book of the Bible, I think it's a really good idea for us to answer five very important questions so that we can get our bearings and get the most out of our study. Question number one, who wrote it? Number two, to whom was it written? Number three, when was it written? Number four, why was it written? And finally, question number five, why should I care? Amen. 
So let's tackle each of these five questions one by one. Question one, who wrote it? Well, the author of the book of Jonah doesn't identify himself uh, in the book of Jonah. So we have to hazard a guess. Our best guess is Jonah himself wrote the book of Jonah. Jonah identifies as in verse one as the son of Amittai. Uh, he was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel between around 800 and 750 B.C. Question number two, to whom was it written? Well, Jonah was originally written to the people of Israel. It's written to the people of Israel, but its message is for all people in all times. Question number three, when was it written? When was it written? Well, we have no way of knowing for sure, but our best guess is Jonah, if he wrote the book himself, wrote it somewhere around 750 B.C. when his ministry years were coming to a close. Question number four, why was the book of Jonah written? Well, it might surprise you to learn that the book of Jonah isn't really a story about a big fish. (laughs) There's a big fish in it, but the book of Jonah is really not a story about a big fish. The big fish is only mentioned four times in the book of Jonah. The book of Jonah isn't really a story about a wicked city of Nineveh. Uh, The city of Nineveh is only mentioned nine times in the book. And the book of Jonah isn't even a story about a reluctant prophet. Jonah himself is mentioned 18 times in the book of Jonah. So think about this for a moment with me. If the book of Jonah is not about a big fish, and it's not about a wicked city that repents and turns to God, and if it's not about the prophet Jonah himself, then what on earth is Jonah about? Well, I'm so glad you asked that question. Here's the answer. Jonah is not a whale-centered book. It's not a man-centered book or even a city-centered book. It's a God-centered book. It tells the true story of a merciful and loving God who is mentioned 38 times in just four chapters. So why was the book of Jonah written? Back to that original question. It was written to teach God's followers that the love of God extends to sinners outside our comfort zone. Therefore, the will of God is for his followers to reach out and urge them to get right with God. Amen? That's the purpose for which it was written. Warren Wiersbe, I think, says it really well. He writes, the book of Jonah is about the will of God and how we respond to it. It's also about the love of God and how we share it with others. Finally, the fifth question, why should I care? I always love this question when we start a new study in a book. Why should I care? Well, let me give you a couple reasons why you should care. Number one, you should care because you don't care. You with me so far? (laughs) You should care because honestly you don't care. It should concern you that you are like Jonah. God is deeply concerned about people around you who are going to hell, yet you refuse to warn them. You get the impression that God is going to be hitting us close to home with some of the challenges from this book? Yeah, He is. So many of us who have been Christians for a long time just kind of push out of our mind the reality that people around us are going to hell. And God does not want us to finish this study of Jonah without having our hearts pricked and changed by the notion that God deeply cares for people's eternal state and wants you and me as Christians to care as well. 
Second reason we should care, right along with that first reason, you should care because God wants you to have a heart like His, a heart filled with mercy and love for lost and dying people like Jesus. He wants you to seek and save the lost. Amen? With that, let's dive into Jonah chapter 1. So we're in Jonah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here we go, reading the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. So Jonah, son of Amittai, was a prophet in northern Israel. You might remember that after King Solomon, King David's son, died, after King Solomon died, the ten tribes in the north seceded from the union. They didn't like King Solomon's son being on the throne, and so ten of the twelve tribes of Israel made their own nation, they made their own country, and it's referred to in the Old Testament as the northern kingdom or the nation of Israel. There were two tribes in the south surrounding the capital city of Jerusalem that stayed loyal to Solomon's son, and they became the southern kingdom or the kingdom of Judah. Now, Jonah was sent by God as a prophet to the northern kingdom, those ten tribes in the north that had seceded from the union. And so that's kind of the backdrop as God comes to Jonah here in the early verses of Jonah chapter 1. Here's uh, what we read the, the first time Jonah is ever mentioned in the Old Testament. It's in 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 25. And here's what we read in that great verse. It says, King Jeroboam II was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Sea of Arabah in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet from Gath, Kiefer. Now that's a mouthful, but you may remember from studying the books of First and Second Kings in the past that all of those kings who oversaw leadership in the northern kingdom of Israel, all of them, without exception, turned their backs on the Lord. Every one of those kings in the northern kingdom disobeyed God's commands, worshipped idols, and turned their hearts from the Lord. And as the leaders did it, the people of the northern kingdom followed in suit and did it as well. And so you have all these wicked kings. And so Jeroboam II here was no exception. Jeroboam II was the king when Jonah was ministering in northern Israel. Jeroboam II worshipped idols. He defied the commands of the Lord. And he led the people of Israel to follow in his footsteps. And so he was the king. And even though the nation of Israel did not deserve God's blessing, God gave them a blessing anyway. You see, for many years, the northern kingdom's number one enemy was the nation of Aram. Today, it's called Syria. The nation of Aram was their number one, uh, you could say, public enemy number one. And the capital city of Aram was Damascus. And so when Jonah came on the scene and said this, Hey, King Jeroboam II, people of northern Israel, I want you to know that you will one day absorb Damascus into your territory. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And so God was going to restore the boundaries that Israel used to have, and they would actually absorb this capital city of Aram. And most people that heard that prophecy would have thought, hey, this is a pipe dream. This can't happen. How on earth can northern Israel conquer 
the nation of Aram. It can't happen. Well, what happened was the nation of Assyria grew to become the greatest military power on earth. And Assyria attacked Damascus and attacked that nation of Aram. And Aram was so weakened by that attack from Assyria that the nation of northern Israel under King Jeroboam II's command was able to sweep in and do some cleanup in Damascus and absorb that territory in large part because of what the nation of Assyria had already done to whittle them down to size. And so that's the backdrop of Jonah's ministry to northern Israel. That's what was going on in the years leading up to God speaking to him here in the early verses of Jonah chapter 1. Now, God had sent three prophets into northern Israel during this time. So Jonah was only one of them. God sent these three prophets. One was Amos, the other was Hosea, and the other was Jonah. And each of these prophets had been sent into northern Israel to tell the people to repent of their sins. And God made it very clear, if you do not repent of your sins, northern Israel, then I am going to send an enemy army to overthrow you. And so if you look at the prophecies of of Amos, they're right there in the Old Testament. Amos has a book by his name. If you look at the prophecies, you'll read that Amos prophesied that an enemy nation would overthrow Israel if Israel didn't repent. Hosea had some of the same prophecies, but unlike Amos, he identified that enemy army by name that would overthrow northern Israel. And guess which army it was? It was the army of Assyria. It was the army of Assyria, and one of the main cities in Assyria was Nineveh. Okay, So we'll connect the dots here. Bear with me. And so Hosea had prophesied three different times, and you can see it in the book of Hosea there in the Old Testament. He prophesied three different times that Assyria would attack, overthrow, and rule over northern Israel unless Israel repented of its sin. And so in steps Jonah. In steps Jonah. And God tells him, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So what is God asking Jonah to do? He's asking him to go to one of the most important cities in Assyria and preach God's message to it, knowing full well that that nation of Assyria, Nineveh included, would one day sweep down into Israel and overthrow it. So that's the message God gives to Jonah. Go up there to your enemy and preach the message of repentance that I call you to preach. Now, there were several reasons why God's command made Jonah sick to his stomach. Let me give two of those reasons. Number one, Nineveh was part of Assyria, which was notorious for its violence and cruelty to its enemies. So Jonah was fully aware of that specific prophecy of Hosea that Assyria was going to conquer them. And one of the reasons that God's command here in the first couple verses of Jonah chapter 1 make Jonah sick to his stomach is because he knew Assyria. They were notorious for their violence. They didn't just kill their enemies. They took pleasure in torturing them and even dismembering them. Sometimes they would dismember them before they were dead. Other times they would dismember them after they were dead. Here's one historical account I want to share with you. This is a historical account of one of Assyria's kings that lived and ruled during that period around when Jonah lived. He wrote, quote, 
I flayed as many nobles as had rebelled against me, and I draped their skins over the pile of corpses. Some I spread out within the the pile, some I erected on stakes upon the pile. I flayed many right through my land and draped their skins over the walls. I burnt their adolescent boys and girls. Doesn't that king of Assyria sound like a wonderful fellow? But it gets worse. He writes elsewhere, I captured many troops alive. I cut off some of their arms and hands. I cut off others' noses, ears, and extremities. I gouged out the eyes of many troops. I made one pile of the living and one pile of heads. I hung their heads on trees around the city. End quote. So when God says in verse 2 of Jonah chapter 1, that Nineveh's wickedness has come before me, God was not exaggerating. Nineveh was filled with very cruel and wicked people, and Jonah had no desire to go there. He didn't want to mess with these wicked people. And Jonah hated God's marching orders for another reason. Jonah had no interest in aiding and abetting the enemy of Israel. You see, Jonah had heard loud and clear God's prophetic word delivered through Hosea. He heard it loud and clear. Judgment was coming, and it was going to come at the hands of Assyria. Many of those Assyrians would be centered in the city of Nineveh, and he was not about to aid and abet the enemy of Israel. He wanted nothing to do with it. Yet God was commanding Jonah to travel 500 miles into the heart of enemy territory to preach a message of repentance to the people who would one day conquer Israel. And Jonah said, no way. No way. I'm not doing it. Count me out. I'm I'm, going to just retire. I'm going to resign. I'm not going to do it, God. I'm not going to do it. So verse 3, Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship found for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, I want you to take a look at this map uh, to help you get your bearings on what Jonah was doing here. So Jonah is over here in Israel on the far side of your screen. He's over there in Israel. He goes down to Joppa and heads to Tarshish. Okay, So God had told him from Israel to head about 500 miles north into Nineveh, 500 miles north. Noah, Jonah says, no way, I'm not doing it. Instead of heading 500 miles north into Nineveh, he sails, or at least he attempts to sail, 2,500 miles west to the furthest point on earth that he was aware of, the city of Tarshish. That was in modern-day Spain. And so that, you can see, is the full length of the Mediterranean Sea. It was the furthest point on earth as far as Jonah would have known in his day. He says, God, I would rather travel five times further in the wrong direction to avoid doing what you've told me to do than go a much shorter distance in the right direction to obey your word. I am not going to do it. Well, according to verse 3, Jonah was running away from the Lord. And Jonah's motive was, according to verse 3, to flee from the Lord. Now, if we were to flip ahead three chapters into Jonah chapter 4, you would see that in Jonah chapter 4 verse 2, Jonah gives us some details about why he was so quick 
to ignore and disobey God's call. Let's put it on the screen for you. Here's what it says in Jonah 4.2. Jonah prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. So why was Jonah doing everything in his power to not go to Nineveh and preach to the Assyrians? Well, it wasn't because Jonah didn't know God. He didn't want to do it because he did know God. And he confesses that right here in Jonah chapter 4, verse 2. He didn't ignore God's call because he didn't know God. He ignored it because he did know God. Well, what do I mean by that? He knew full well that God was a merciful and compassionate and a forgiving God. And Jonah knew that if God was going through the trouble of sending one of his prophets up to Nineveh to preach a message to them, that there was a good chance that God knew those people would repent from their sin and God would relent and not bring calamity and judgment upon them. And Jonah wanted nothing to do with the people of Nineveh repenting. That's sad. Jonah knew that if he preached to the people of Nineveh and they repented, God would forgive them and spare them. And that's the last thing Jonah wanted. In his heart, he wanted the Assyrians to die in their sins and to go to hell. That's just the honest truth. He wanted them to die and go to hell. Jonah was a real sweetheart of a guy, wasn't he? Not so much. Now, I'd like to think that Christians today are much different than Jonah, but honestly, we're not. Let's be honest, we're not much different than Jonah. Truth be told, there are some people who we do not want to go to heaven. Honestly, you know I'm right, don't you? There's some people who many of us as Christians do not want to go to heaven. It wasn't too long ago I was scrolling through Facebook and I came upon a post. I don't even remember who posted it. But it was a post about the Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. And I, I glanced at the comments, and it was pretty clear in some of those comments that there were a lot of uh, strong Republicans responding. And, and that's okay. Whatever your political affiliation is, okay with me. But I noticed a name that was familiar to me. I noticed uh, someone that I know is a Christian, and I read that person's response. And here was the response. Nancy Go to hell. And my heart kind of dropped and I, I didn't respond to that comment because as a practice, I don't respond to any political posts on Facebook. More times than not, it does more harm than good. But I really gave some thought to that and I, I really wanted to respond and say this. You're saying, go to hell, Nancy. And I know you're a Christian and you know you're a Christian and you're telling one of the leaders in our nation to go to hell. I wanted to respond with these words. I don't think Nancy will go to hell. In fact, I think she's going to go to heaven. Why? Because there are tens of thousands of Christians across this nation praying for Nancy Pelosi's salvation. And I believe we serve a God who hears and answers prayer. Amen? Where do we get off telling people to go to hell. How is it that we can possibly have hearts that are that disengaged from the heart of Christ? It says in the New Testament that God our Savior wants all to be saved 
and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's in 1 Timothy 2.4. In 2 Peter 3.9 it says, God wants all to come to repentance and none to perish. Friends, God has a problem, a big problem with us telling people we like God bless you on Sunday and going ahead and the next day on Monday telling people we don't like go to hell. God has a big problem with that. It's sin. Wishing hell on anyone is a sin. Wanting anyone to die in their sins is itself a sin. No matter how sinful that person is, Jesus came to earth to seek and save the lost. And if you are a follower of Jesus, He calls you to do the same. No excuses. No excuses. Jonah was consumed by hatred and resentment and vengeance, but you and I must not be. We are on mission from God to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone, not just with those we like, not just with those who like us, not just with those who are in our comfort zone. Over the course of these four chapters, God shows Himself to be consumed with compassion and mercy and love for hopeless sinners. So too must we be consumed with compassion and mercy and love for hopeless sinners around us. Well, let's pick up in verse 4 of Jonah chapter 1. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, How can you sleep? Get up! Call on your God! Maybe He'll take notice of us and and we won't perish. Then the sailors said to each other, Come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on, guess who? Fell on Jonah. So they asked him, Tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered in verse 9, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. This terrified them and they asked, What have you done? Now they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you to to, to make the sea calm for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I knew that it was my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard, and the raging sea was calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to Him. Well, Jonah boarded a ship heading 2,500 miles west to the furthest point on earth that he was aware of there in Spain. But the impression we get in verse 4 is that the ship didn't make it very far, right? We don't think it made it very far. God sends a great wind, a violent storm that engulfed the ship. The captain and the crew were convinced that if the storm didn't end soon, their ship would be ripped into many pieces and they would all die in the sea. So they begin calling out to their God. Verse 5, 
All the sailors were afraid. They cried out to his own, to their own God. These sailors weren't worshipers of the one true God, so in all likelihood they were calling out to Baal and they were calling out to Chemosh and they were calling out to Molech and any other God they could think of. They were calling out to every God out there hoping one of them would answer. They didn't know the one true God, at least they didn't at the time. These sailors were so scared they tossed their cargo overboard, they tossed their food out, they tossed their possessions out, they tossed their livelihood out. They were going to Spain for a reason. They were going to make some buco bucks over there in Spain most likely, but they threw it all overboard. These guys knew they were going to die if something didn't drastically change. Verse 6, Jonah was just snoozing below deck, oblivious to all of it. So the captain got in his face and said, Get up! Call on your God. Maybe He'll take notice of us and we won't perish. Isn't it sad that the pagan captain of that ship was more concerned about Jonah's life than Jonah was concerned about all those men on the boat who were about to drown and go to hell without knowing the one true God? Isn't that sad? The pagan captain was more concerned with Jonah than Jonah as a follower of the one true God was concerned with him. That brings home a really important point. It's a sad indictment on Christ's followers when non-Christians show more compassion, patience, and love than we do. Between verses 7 and 16, the drama continues to unfold after the captain urged Jonah to call on his God for deliverance. The sailors had an idea. They said to each other in verse 7, come let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They were convinced that the storm was somebody's fault. Someone on the ship had ticked off one of the gods and they discover when the lots are drawn, maybe it was sticks, maybe it was little pebbles, but one was different than the others. And Jonah, in essence, drew the short straw. They knew it was his fault. And they asked for an explanation, and he explains, well, I am a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, Yahweh, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And as soon as they discover that Jonah's God is the God that controls the storms and controls the waves and controls the ocean, they were more scared than ever before. What should we do? They ask him. And he simply says, pick me up and throw me into the sea, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Many would say, you know what? Jonah was finally being noble. He's being a martyr so that those sailors won't die. He's not being a martyr here. Jonah, in what he says to those sailors, is saying, I'd rather die than obey the command of my Lord. Because Jonah could have stopped that same storm just as quickly by saying, God... I'm going to do it. Forgive me. Send me back. I'm going to go to Nineveh. He could have just as easily had God stop that storm that way, but he'd rather die than obey God's command. In verse 13, we read that the sailors did their best to row back to land, but they could not. So reluctantly, they tossed Jonah overboard. According to verse 15, the raging sea grew calm. And in verse 16, we read that the men greatly feared the Lord and made vows to Him. Well, we don't know for sure if they converted to Judaism, if they became followers of God and God only. There's a good chance they just mixed in Yahweh with all the other gods they were worshiping. But to one extent or another, they drew closer to God. And on that day, they worshiped 
the one true God. Then finally, the chapter ends in verse 17. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. The big fish has been a a source of argument and criticism for many centuries. Uh, Many people would say there's no possible way that there's a fish large enough to swallow a man whole. And there's certainly not a fish or any sort of whale that a man could survive inside for three days and three nights without being killed in that beast's stomach. And so there's been a lot of questions, and I want to tackle uh, those questions and those doubts people have about Jonah, and we'll do that next week. Uh, but let me give you a teaser in the meantime. You ready for this? Here's the teaser. Okay? Any, any questions? <laughs> we'll talk more about that next week. Make sure you don't miss it. Now, I want to leave you with one very important lesson from Jonah chapter 1. Here's that very important lesson I don't want you to miss today. Come what may, God wants you to obey His marching orders to go and share God's Word with lost and dying people. Let that sink in. Come what may, in other words, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how inconvenient it is, No matter how much you don't want to do it, God wants you to obey His marching orders to go and share God's Word with lost and dying people. Remember Jesus' final words before He went into heaven? He said, go into all the world and make disciples, followers of Christ of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And you won't be going alone. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Those are our marching orders to go and share the good news of Jesus Christ with people around us, to share that message of repentance so that people don't go to hell, but go to heaven instead. Bottom line, we don't care for sinners' salvation as much as we should care. We need to have a heart like Christ's heart, filled with mercy and love for lost and dying people. Like Jesus, God wants you and me to seek and to save the lost. My my favorite uh, Christian singer and songwriter from the late 1970s and early 1980s was Keith Green. Keith Green was an incredibly gifted songwriter and singer uh, who had a powerful testimony. Hopefully I'll be able to share it with you one of these days. But he was a man that when he gave his life to Christ, he was all in 100%. And God gave him this passion for people that did not know Christ. He so much wanted to see people saved. He so much wanted to take people to heaven with him at whatever point God called him home to heaven. And he so much wanted the church to wake up and join him in leading people to a saving knowledge of Christ. And that's reflected in many of his songs. Well, in 1978, he wrote and, and cut a single called Asleep in the Light. And it was a, a clarion wake-up call to millions of Christians across our nation to get off their behinds and lead other people to Christ who needed Christ. And I want you to listen to these powerful lyrics from this song, Asleep in the Light. Do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Don't you care? Don't you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. 
But he cries, he weeps, he bleeds, and he cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. Oh, can't you see it's such sin? Because he brings people to your door and you turn them away as you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace. And all heaven just weeps because Jesus came to your door. You've left him out on the streets. So open up, open up. And give yourself away. You see the need. You hear the cry. So how can you delay? God's calling and you're the one. But like Jonah, you run. He's told you to speak, but you keep holding it in. Oh, can't you see it's such sin? The world is sleeping in the dark that the church just can't fight because it's asleep in the light. How can you be so dead when you've been so well fed? Jesus rose from the grave and you... You can't even get out of bed. Oh, Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, get out of your bed. How can you be so numb not to care if they come and you close your eyes and pretend the job's done? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Don't close your eyes. Don't pretend the job's done. Lord Jesus, forgive me. Lord Jesus, forgive us. Those words are so true. We've been well fed. But sometimes when it comes to evangelism, we might as well be dead. How can we, Lord? We've heard over and over again your charge to reach the lost. Yet, Lord, we don't share our faith. We buy into this lie from Satan. Well, there's two things I don't talk about. Politics and religion. So I'm not going to lead someone to Christ. I'm not going to save them, uh, throw them a spiritual life preserver. I'm not going to tell people that I'd love for them to go to church with me on Sunday. Lord, would you forgive me for being indifferent? Forgive me for having a hard heart to the lost and dying people around me who desperately need Christ, who desperately need salvation. Lord, would you wake me up? Would you wake us up, O God? Here we are just a week away from National Back to Church Sunday and so many of us will just smile and nod as we hear this message and we're not going to invite anyone to come to church next week. God, forgive us. Wake us up. And I pray, oh God, that you would embolden us this week to invite friends and family and neighbors and and checker-outers at Walmart and whoever it might be to come to church, O Lord, to hear the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. Help us to point people to You. Help us to talk about You. Help us to draw people to Your Word. Lord Jesus, I pray that You would transform our hearts and give us the soft heart of Christ for the lost because You have called us to seek and save that which is lost. Change our hearts, O God. And do a work in us this week. And may we see people saved around us in these upcoming seven days for the glory of God. Help us to not be like Jonah. When you call us to share Christ, I pray that we would share Christ. In Jesus' name. Amen. Next week is National Back to Church Sunday. Some of you have been away from church for a while and 
Many of us who are watching online physically can't go to an in-person service, so by all means, you keep on joining us online. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you have just gone to church online because, bottom line, it's easier, it's time to get back to church. If you have a physical reason to not be in with the church body in person, I get it. You keep watching online. But if it's simply because of convenience... Get back to church. And there's no better Sunday than next Sunday to do that. And if you're one of the many that's going to continue to watch us online, please keep it up. It's not the best option, but it's the second best option if you can't be in a church in person. And please don't miss this opportunity. Whether you're coming in person or online next week, do not miss this opportunity to invite others to join you. You very well may snatch someone out of the grip of hell and bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ and have them enjoy eternity in heaven because you were bold enough to go and ask. Let's all take this seriously and invite people to church next week. Amen? We can do this. By God's strength, we can do this. If you've never made a decision for Christ and you want to make that decision today, I want to just share with you the ABCs of getting right with God. A, admit that you're a sinner and that you need the Savior, Jesus Christ. B, Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and see, choose to follow Jesus beginning today as your Savior and your Lord. Put him in the driver's seat and allow him to start calling the shots. I'm really excited about this study in Jonah. It's not going to be an easy one. It will be fun. It will bring us some laughter along the way, but it will also hit close to home because I believe God is giving us a call to rise up and lead people to Christ like never before. Would you join me in answering this call of God to lead our friends and family and neighbors to Christ and be bold for Jesus Christ? God's called you this week to seek and save the lost. Church, go get them.